everybody, I'm Sam Ahern. I'm here at Ambitious About Autism with Justin Cook, the Public Affairs Manager, and with Richard Ascroft, and we are going to be talking about illegal exclusions, and we need an education campaign. So to start off with, I'm going to be talking to Justin about just the exclusions in general, and then I'm going to be talking about a personal experience with Richard, whose son was illegally excluded at school. So, Justin, first off, why are illegal exclusions on the rise? By their nature, unlawful or illegal exclusions are quite hard to measure because you don't know they're happening. Uh, but the last time we surveyed parents and young people, we found that a large number of them had been subject to unrecorded unlawful exclusions. And from that work, we calculated that as many as 26,000 children or young people with autism as their primary special educational need could be being unlawfully excluded in a year, which is a large amount. Thank you. And what can teachers and staff do in order to reduce the behaviour issues within class? Firstly, they need more support. Um, we need more training in autism awareness, not just for teachers, but also for teaching assistants, teaching staff and school-wide staff, because a lot, they spend a lot of time with children with special educational needs, and normally they're the ones who are picking things up. Uh, we also need schools to be supported usually by their special educational needs coordinator and the leadership team to spot these children and to take their behavioural issues as needs which aren't being met rather than problems to be dealt with by exclusion. They need to basically find ways to support those children more, to keep them in the classroom and to make sure they are included in the classroom rather than excluding them. And if that means they need to go to the local authority and get an educa education, health and care plan or other forms of support, they need to happen before they exclude And just in terms of touching on what you were talking about with the change of schools, is the fact that teachers and staff not having an understanding of autism one of the prime reasons why these exclusions are becoming so more apparent? It's one of the primary reasons, yes. I mean, if you've got a good school that has teachers that aren't trained in SEM and autism or can't spot it, you will still get problems of exclusion. However, you might also have other schools that take a line that they don't want to include these children and they basically have a policy which is so strict that no children with special educational needs or autism is ever going to stay in that school because they will always fall foul of very strict behavioural policy. Um, a, lot of, a lot of charities and a lot of groups feel that actually some of those behavioural policies could be unlawful because they are discriminating against those children who are autistic because they aren't looking at the behaviour as a part byproduct of their neurodiversity but of their behaviour and excluding them which could be unlawful. And is there anything that local authorities can do to change the way schools treat these exclusions? Sadly, less than it used to be. Uh, local authorities um, have a role to play in making school sure that schools in their area are inclusive and bringing them together and saying best practice. But as far as exclusions are concerned, normally the first they find out about it is when a child is permanently excluded. And if, if they've been permanently excluded, the school wash their hands from them and the local authority have to find them another place. It's actually quite hard for the local authority. Some of the real power actually lies with Ofsted and school inspection system. That's supposed to be the system that makes sure schools are acting within the law and, and coping with all the children who should be in their school. 
Um, you also have, increasingly because of academisation and free school programme, a lot of schools are directly funded and directly managed by the government. Uh, so local authorities don't actually have control over their schools, apart from pupils who are discarded from them via exclusions and given back to them. That's the only time they ever pick up those children, because they don't have any control over them. So it needs to be a new, new approach to uh, enforcing exclusions law to make sure that all schools, no matter what their governance, no matter who controls them, do act in a lawful way. And what would this new approach, in your opinion, consist of? Well, oddly, the guidance on exclusions, the law on exclusions, is actually really good. It says you shouldn't exclude a child of SEM. You should include them and you should do everything possible to make sure they aren't excluded. Sadly, it's just not followed by so many schools. So we do need an enforcement system. We need an enforcement system that makes sure that head teachers do their job and abide by the rules. If we had better enforcement of the law, we wouldn't see children with special educational needs making up half the, of all school or exclusions. They are supposed to be the most protected pupils in those schools, but they make up half four children excluded. That is wrong. It's a clear indication that the system is not working, and we need better enforcement of exclusion laws. Any head teacher who unlawfully excludes a child should not be a head teacher. And so in terms of the system, do you think it's a sort of catch-22 situation where it's the system that's sort of saying that we should exclude these children because of X, Y, Z, but then also the teachers for their lack of understanding of autism. I think it's partly we have, in England, we have an approach that a head teacher should have the right to exclude. Oddly, in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, they take a very different approach. They say it should be the last resort, and head teachers shouldn't exclude unless they really have to. So there's a definite kind of ethos that runs in the English education system, which is very fast to exclude. Uh, when you put that next to the lack of support that teachers and teaching staff have historically had, which hopefully might get better, I think, because the teacher training is getting better and more inclusive, um, we've had a lot of teaching staff that simply haven't been able to cope with children with autism, haven't been able to spot them or deal with them in the classroom. So we need a lot more support for teachers and teaching staff so that they actually can spot a child who's falling behind or behavioural issues might be because of special needs and then cope with them in that classroom environment to keep them in the classroom because that's what we should be doing rather than excluding. Um, and last question, I think I've already asked this, but just in terms of rewording it, um, what advice can you give, can schools take in order to reduce exclusions? Don't. Don't exclude children with SEM. You shouldn't be doing it. You should find other ways to make sure they stay in that classroom. That's the first advice I'd give. And there are lots of other things that fall out of that. And a lot of it comes back to teacher training. A school leadership team that actually prioritises SEN, gives support to their special needs coordinator, Lesenko, has a school-wide approach to inclusion. Those things should be happening before they exclude. Okay, thank you very much, Justin. I'm now going to um, ask Richard Astcroft some questions about his son's experience of being excluded. So. Um, first question I want to ask is, what was the experience like of your son being excluded? It was awful, um, which won't surprise anybody. It was awful for us as parents um, because 
Our son was diagnosed autistic shortly after his third birthday. He was already in a mainstream nursery, uh, which went very well. They supported him very well before and after diagnosis. He got a statement of special educational needs when he was four, um, so he was well supported through nursery on into reception through key stage one. Um, and we thought that things were going well. He was in a school that understood him, uh, had a priority for supporting kids with special educational needs, and at that time had a head teacher with a zero exclusion policy. So no child was excluded on any grounds. So they would work with the child, be that for reasons of SEN or for behaviour problems or, or problems at home, um, to, to ensure that they were included and they were getting an education. Unfortunately, for reasons which had nothing to do with us, the school began to fall apart. Um, they had real problems retaining teachers, um, and they had real problems returning uh, learning support assistance. So my son had, uh, in one year, half a dozen learning different LSAs in one term. And the Ofsted came in and gave the school a, a requires improvement grade which quickly led to the head teacher uh, being replaced by another head teacher who's, who was given the job of turning the school round. And the new head teacher's line was that um, a significant part of the school's problems had to do with discipline, which is untrue, in fact. Uh, throughout the period in question, uh, Ofsted found that one of the areas the school was outstanding was in pupil behaviour. And uh, so he began to exclude children, in, including our son and part of the reason why he felt he wanted to do that was that our son was beginning to show some challenging behaviours which may in part be attributable to his autism but also had to do with the confusion, the constant change, uh, not having people that he could trust would be there from one week to the next and so on. So we felt that at least part of the issues around his exclusion were to do with the school failing to do its job rather than anything to do with his autism. Um, one of the consequences for parents if your child is excluded is that at least for the first week of a lawful exclusion uh, you have to educate the child at home. No support is provided by the local authority and it is unlawful for your child to be outside of the home in school hours for that week, which makes it very difficult if you're working. And in the second week, the LA is supposed to provide some educational support. Uh, in, in practice, we had very little. Um, the first two times that he was excluded were indeed illegal exclusions. We were invited to take him home and keep him home for a few days. Uh, we were told, uh, because this was in his interests, uh, that he, he was finding school too stressful and it would not appear on his record because if it was on his record it would make transition to secondary more difficult. This is completely untrue, but we didn't know that at the time. And um, we were told that, um, of course, this was unlawful, but the emphasis was placed on it would be us that was breaking the law by failing to send our child to school. So we were really put in a, a, a very difficult position. Eventually he did have a couple of legal formal exclusions. Um, but that's the other side of it, uh, where they applied their policy 
but we had legal advice to suggest that it was uh, being applied in breach of the disability discrimination legislation, that he was not, reasonable adjustments were not being made um, to include him in school. And the effect on him was that as this went on, to begin with, he began to see this as a, as a sort of exit strategy, that if he wasn't enjoying school, then all he had to do was act out and then he'd just mm. be sent home. But he gradually began to realise that some of the adults in the school really didn't want him there. And this had a really bad effect on his self-esteem, because up until that point he'd been a very popular child with the staff and the students, and never had any trouble at all throughout the whole of primary school with fellow students, never any problems with bullying or being left out of things or anything like that. The only problem we had with certain key adults, crucially in this story, the, the, the incoming head teacher. Mm. That, wow, thank you. That was quite, um, uh, that must have been incredibly hard for both you and your son. Um, when did this happen, if you don't mind me asking? So this began to be an issue uh, in the early part of year five and through year five. And uh, by the end of year five, all of us agreed that he really shouldn't continue in that school because they clearly didn't understand Sen, or if they did, they saw it as a problem for the efficient running of the school. They didn't see it in terms of the benefit of education to him or his right in education. And uh, we actually tried to find a placement to another school in year six, but the consultation went, which was meant to take two weeks and it was meant to happen at the end of the school year, it didn't start until the beginning of the new school year and it went on for about three months, by which point no other primary would be willing to take him because they don't want to take in kids that they perceive as difficult into year six when it might affect their SATs results. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of structural things here in the background which are to do with money and resources and so on, which are in a way independent of SEN issues, but they interact. And um, is he at a new school now? He is, because now he's in year seven. And what happened was we managed to place him with the help of the local authority in what we were told was a very good uh, secondary school. We had all kinds of supportive noises made by the school about how they were going to include him and so on. But again, a key person left uh, the SENCO that was uh, responsible for offering him the place, which we were then able to write into his education and healthcare plan, left before he joined the school. And the school's attitude seemed to change more or less overnight, and they were encouraging us to not come, and on the first day they actually excluded him. Uh, on, on the first morning in school, because he wasn't coping in their eyes, um, but they obviously hadn't made any real effort to. Uh, and it was, as uh, Justin was saying, it was a question of, this is a school which is academically excellent and we have a very strict behaviour policy. And they dealt with it as a behaviour issue. They, we were brought in front of the head, deputy head in charge of discipline. It was astonishing that they should approach a child, um, a bright, uh, enthusiastic child with autism in this way. Mm -hmm. But they clearly decided that this child will not come to our school. So they pulled that lever. And again, we were told that this would be in breach of the dis disability discrimination legislation. But what we knew was, well, yes, we could go to court. We could probably win. Mm -hmm. 
but we would get nothing out of it. We might get a small sum of money as a sorry, but it wouldn't change their attitude, it wouldn't change their culture. And because this was an academy, there was very little the local authority could do about it. So now he's in another school, which is going rather better. So do you think then it's the, sort of in line with Justin's question that I asked, it's, this seems to be about the type of school that he went to and how their behaviour um, and how their discipline strategies were working. Do you think that if they, you know, had both respect and if they themselves showed discipline that obviously this never would have happened because of, you know, otherwise your son would not have either retaliated and unfortunately he would not have been mm. illegally excluded twice. Mm. So in terms of, do you think that from a local authority perspective that could have changed in any way? I think the good guys in this story I think were the local authority. Mm. Um, they were very supportive and they worked very hard and the caseworker was clearly doing her level best for us. Um, but the local authority had very little power, even with the primary, which was which was local authority run primary, to compel the head teacher to follow policy. Uh, in part because he'd been brought in to turn around a failing school, um, and so he could say, "Well, do you want me to turn the school around or not?" Um, and our son was collateral damage in that. Um, the there are problems with the implementation of policy, there are problems of governance and control. We didn't get any real joy out of the governing body. Um, Ofsted, huh. amazing that our son was sent out on educational visits on the days when Ofsted was coming to court. Amazing. Because in the whole of year six he was taught on his own in a separate classroom. And every attempt we made to have him integrated back into the mainstream classroom, they'd say yes, 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 and then there'd be some reason why not. Um, it just makes me so angry. But there are different things going on here. If you have a head teacher who really believes in, in inclusion and sets the tone in the school, everything can go on so differently. So yes, there is a question about staff knowledge and training, but if you have understanding and awareness without acceptance, and without commitment, what it can mean is the opposite. Oh yeah, we understand autism very well, keep them out of my classroom. And Justin, have you seen lots of these examples from your research and yes. from your findings? Yes, I mean you can have very well trained, very knowledgeable teachers with a good Senko, but if they haven't got the leadership in the school that wants to support those children being in the school, they will find ways to get rid of them. And increasingly we have a lot of schools that have very strict behavioural policies and they come first no matter what else the child may have. You may even get child who don't have to say they've been on these who have gone through some kind of trauma because a death of a loved one or someone or someone in the family and have mental health issues and they exclude them because of their behaviour as well. So it's a problem which is increasing in the school system of just non-acceptance of anyone who doesn't toe the line and acts exactly like everyone else in the school. And this is simply because school autonomy has led to the point of a head teacher basically being able to do anything they like with a school. 
and you know, they are like the captain of the ship in the old sailing days. You know, once they are on the water, it is pretty much up to them to run their school how they see fit. And the only way you can get rid of them is if the school fails. And increasingly, we are seeing that level of unacceptance of difference in schools. And it isn't just SEN, it's just that they are the most pronounced ones, and they are the ones who are being excluded the most because their behaviour in the classroom is deemed to be disruptive. One thing that was said to me was um, that often the SEN children particularly the autistic children, are the ones who are most visible and in a sense from a school management point of view the early win. You know, get them out and everybody's behaviour gets better, so they think. Um, it's not true because <laughs> the children know the difference. They know that this isn't being naughty. They know this is somebody having a problem. But the other thing is that they're also, they, they pick up in advance of everyone else what the problems are. So if they know, if they can feel that something's not right in the classroom, and they don't censor that thought, they express it, some of the other children might be slower to pick it up. So if you have autistic children who are struggling in the class, it might be a good sign to pick up on that there's something not right in how the class is running or how the school is running and how do you respond to that. So rather than penalising the autistic children, they are actually helpful to the school as well as their own right to an education, which is there in law and in human rights internationally, um, and as well as the benefit to other students of having difference and themselves being different. Um, so there is something that people could learn from all this rather than seeing it automatically a problem. Mm. I agree, and I think, I suppose I'm coming from personal experience here, this I wasn't necessarily excluded per se, but I have had issues with my schools um, and even my for the entirety of my education life, just sort of going to certain tutors and teachers and having to say to them, look, I am not benefiting from your teaching. Uh, please change how you treat me as a person. But also please respect the fact that if I'm not comfortable with your way of teaching and with how you are um, making me learn, then I'm not going to be progressing as a person. Yeah. And you need to you need to change that, not me. Um, and that is obviously a very difficult thing if a child, say, is expressing that particular communication within a behavioural sense. Because um, I obviously... The teachers, they just assume it's bad behaviour. Yeah. And actually, they are then, the child is sending a message by saying, actually, this needs to change for the better. I'm a teacher myself, albeit in a university rather than in a school, and it is difficult to have someone pointing out to you that something about the way you're teaching uh, isn't working for some of your students. One can take that personally, but as professionals, <laughs> it's our job not to take it personally, but to learn from it. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, kind of coming on to the last question, but I have a few more bubbling up in my mind. Um, I suppose, again, coming on from Justin's questions, what advice could be given to families in order for them to understand how important it is for their child and young person to stay in school? 
quite a big question, I know. The most parents, most of the time, won't need much persuading that their child should be in school and it's sort of benefit to them to be in school. There may, I guess, be situations where a child has really complex needs where there just isn't a suitable school. I can see that could happen, but it's going to be very rare rather than the norm. Um, and what's difficult for parents is um, once the system starts turning against them, because you find very quickly that the system can then drop into a pattern which is very difficult to shift. So if you have a teacher that you find it difficult to get on with, well, you can talk to the head and work with them to some extent. But once you have uh, two or three teachers, a head teacher, the governing body will generally support the head. So appealing to the governing body is usually a waste of time, although you are obliged to do it. If you have to work your way through the complaint system, you have to go to the governing body, then the local authority, and then eventually Ofsted, writing to your MP and so on. But once you've got into that cycle, it's really hard, because all the, all the instincts in the system are to react. So it's not happening, it's not true, they're difficult parents, it's a difficult child, they're not realistic, they don't understand, we're the experts, they're not, and it's just draining. At which point, if a parent just feels like giving up, well, who can blame them? Mm. A vast majority of parents want their child, no matter who it is, to go to the local school and the local school to be good for them. They don't want to have to put their school on a bus for an hour and a half to go to a special school. That's not what the majority of parents want for their child. And 70% of children who have autism as their primary need are still in mainstream schools. Um, more of them are in special schools because we've got more children with autism coming through the system so we're getting better at diagnosing it. Um, but it's when that school lets them down is when you get the problems. And usually the parents believe what the school is telling them because sadly there is no one who tells parents what their rights are on education. You find it out drip feed from different places. You don't, when your child first goes to school you get lots of school material from the school about the school you don't get anything about what your rights are as a parent and what a child's rights are to education. So they don't know that, you know, having the school ask them to pick up a child at lunchtime is technically illegal. And it's the school breaking the law, not the parents. Um, we, need, we need better education of parents sometimes to actually call schools out on their behaviour. It might not be very comfortable for that parent. It might not mean they get a good outcome for their child because they may have to move them anyway because if a child, school doesn't want a child they will try and get rid of them mm. but it might mean that they don't do it next time mm. and it might mean that they think about inclusion in a better way um, it's not it's not easy um, but at the moment we don't have the scrutiny of schools to mean it comes down from above so it almost needs to come from below via parents first Hopefully, we'll keep working with the government and try and convince them that they need to be better at making schools follow exclusive practice and follow exclusive law. We'll keep doing that, but we also probably need parents to work from below as well. In terms, okay, I've got a quick question. So, what about, say, hypothetically, that the child wants to be excluded? 
with that. <laughs> I know, that's why. a completely different um, um, analogy. A lot, sadly, a lot of children, well, not actually sadly, fortunately, yeah. a lot of children who are autistic are very, very intelligent. Yeah. They will spot a way round doing French if they don't like French. And if that means basically rolling around on the, on the floor or basically sitting in a corner and getting excluded, they'll think, great, I don't have to do French. Any other child wouldn't be allowed to do it. But because they have an SCN or they're on a register, they might be taken out of the Now that's not technically unusual. They might be taken out of French and then taken to their next classroom so they have to do French. But it is basically the school not being able to cope with them in the classroom. And that's what they need to support because they shouldn't allow the child to dictate which ones, which, like, you know, if they do languages or not. Um, and so there needs to be a better understanding of behaviour which is actually because of unmet, unmet needs, which they need more support for, or basically just the child playing the system, because some of them do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean something that I, I found quite early on in our career as parents of a son with autism is that sometimes he's just naughty. Yes. Children just sometimes are. <laughs> He doesn't get a free pass just because he's autistic. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and he is very smart at figuring these things out. But it's not, it's not, it's not only that. It's that the system built in perverse incentives with, with some of these kinds of behaviour. If you allow him to take a time out because things are stressful, then he will take a time out because he's bored or because it's not interesting or he doesn't see the point of it. Um, I mean, heaven knows I do. So... <laughs> um, and I don't have a diagnosis, but the, um, the, 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 the ways, the other thing I suppose I would say is that um, if, if a child wants to be excluded, you, you have to ask, why is it? is it? Is it because of bullying? Is it because of lack of stimulus? Is it because of lack of other support? I mean, one of the things that was really hard for us was that he has some fairly clear sensory needs and yet can we get a decent level of occupational therapy input? No. We, we were told not to put it into the statement because the local authority wouldn't be able to meet the wouldn't be able to resource it. Um, which we were stupid enough to agree to. Um, but it was really clear that he needed that and if that had been a, uh, a somewhat less hectic environment he might have coped a bit better but we don't know that now and one of the things is that um, I guess naively we thought if we took him out of an environment where he was struggling and put him in a different environment then the problems that were in the first place wouldn't apply in the second and he would be fine now well it's true to some extent but he's also got lots of learned behaviours over the last five years um, which he now has to unlearn, as well as you know, growing up. He's twelve. He's going to be going through puberty soon, and so on. I mean, it, 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 the the problems don't go away. No, if you have a child that misses large amounts of education and they're excluded a lot, it's actually quite hard to reintegrate them into school. Sometimes, a lot of the children that come to the schools that we run have missed years of education. Sometimes, and for the first term or even longer sometimes, you're not actually teaching them lessons. You're almost reintegrating them into a school environment so they can learn again. And it's incredibly hard, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. 
had a high ratio of staff to pupils. And that's sadly why a lot of the children who are excluded because of special educational needs end up in those special settings, because they're the only ones who can reintegrate them with them. Hopefully, they should be able to go back into mainstream, but that never happens, partly, because the mainstream schools don't want to take them. Um, and that's a basic problem of inclusion. Once a child has been excluded, very few schools want to take that child. They don't want to look at reasons why they're excluded, they don't want to meet them, they just don't want to take them, because they, they perceive them to be a risk. They either perceive them to be a risk that they'll be more expensive to teach and they don't have the money, or they'll get their grades will mm. be bad. And so much of what a school is now is league tables and money rather than education. Yeah. So my son is currently in a specialist uh, unit embedded in a mainstream secondary school. Uh, he's having exactly that uh, set of difficulties about being reintegrated into a classroom education. But when he joined the school, we were told he would have access to mainstream lessons and so on as appropriate. He's got some strengths as, as well as some difficulties. Uh, this isn't really happening, except in one or two areas which aren't areas where he would cope well, like PE and, and music. Um, and we had a meeting with the head of the mainstream secondary school, saying, well, why is this integration not happening? And, and we were given all these reasons. What well, do you think that at age 16 he will be able to do five GCSEs where he has to sit in an exam hall and concentrate for three hours at a time? And I was like, why is that a question you are asking us today? Why is that an issue? And it was clearly because he was worried about his leave tables and his yeah. indicators and so on. Now, I, you know, that's the policy environment he works in. I sympathise with his position and the position of secondary school teachers but he wasn't answering our question which is why is our son not getting the integration which he'd been promised and the flip side of that is the question that should be asked them is why aren't you doing the things that need to happen to make sure we can sit those five GCSEs yes. because that's their job they're a school they're supposed to educate everyone in their school not keep them separate because they might have a problem at the end of their school year or their school life and that's the fundamental basics of what we're talking about Every child has a right to a full education. Yes. And children with autism are being denied it by exclusions and other things simply because they're children with autism. Yeah. And that is wrong, and that's why we need some action from government and others. I mean, the, 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 the exclusions are the, the most visible part of the iceberg, if you like. The, the language of risk, I mean, the number of times we have been confronted with a risk assessment saying, your son cannot go on this trip because we think X, Y, and Z. Nonsense nonsense in almost all cases but the, he is seen as a walking set of risks that is a problem for them and they have to worry about so rather than saying here is a child who is bright and has got lots of capacity to develop and become independent you know take his place in, com in the community and so on and have a lot of hope you know a bearer of hope he's seen as a bearer of risk which is pretty heartbreaking as a parent I have to say mm. I can imagine and I mean it's yeah it's it just sounds completely diabolical that kids with autism are being excluded purely because they are autistic and they then have to you know families and parents have to find so many ways just to get that child back into a school which is not then letting them go back in to their 
you know, chosen choice of education because they are seen as a inverted commas risk, yeah. um, and they have all these taglines pushed at them, which is just angering and completely shaming for, um, I think, for the schools because they are, you know, not embarrassed, but there's a, you know, because if this one child gets into our school, then they're going to bring down the GCSE results. It's like, yeah. well, that's just one student. Yeah. And that one student actually might bring up the GCSE results if you teach them a certain set of rules that makes them feel safe yeah. within that school. And then hopefully they can learn many different things because they are being safeguarded and because they are stationed within a certain environment which they feel that they can also progress as well. It's about the child, it's not about the school, but then actually the school are the big sort of... School should be about its children. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a school should be about, its children. It shouldn't be about an ethos a teacher has or grades. It should be about the children in the school. Mm -hmm. They should be what makes the school. And a lot of schools miss that yeah. fundamental reason why they're there. Yes. Mm. And do you think then this might be a bit of a different question, but do you think that then this will that then this continues on to places like higher education and college? Well that's a whole It's a whole uh, different matter, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean how long have we got? <laughs> um, Yes, there's one of the problems with young people with special educational needs is when they become adults, there is very little protection for them because they're on their own almost. Mm -hmm. And both college, further education, and universities sometimes good, sometimes aren't. But a lot of the time, the young person themselves are the people who have to drive that and make it work. Um, which is rather difficult, I would say. Um, yes, and, and it's a whole different regime with different problems. Mm. So it can work. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the better, yeah. hopefully. Um, so I kind of want one last question from both of you, where I suppose in a perfect world, what would you... Um, in a perfect world where kids with six autism are not excluded because of their behaviour or because of their stimulus or because, you know, they were oversensitive one day so they had a bit of a, a screaming fit um, and, you know, poor old Martha had to run to the nurse because of blah, blah, blah. What would you, in five years' time, do you think that the number of exclusions within the UK for children with autism will have, will have decreased? It should do. The number of exclusions should fall. There are far too many children being excluded, not only ones with autism, or special education needs, totally across the board. Mm. We need the numbers of poor children, particularly with special education needs autism, to fall dramatically. But coming back to the behaviour in the classroom, we need a system that supports the children so that behaviour doesn't happen. If you've got a child with, who has shown behavioural problems because of their special educational needs, it's because their needs aren't being met. We need their needs to be met in the classroom, and that would lead to them not being excluded. And Richard, do you agree? I'm told that there are some countries where there is no power of exclusion. So if you took that away, people would have to find solutions. Yeah, Scotland, for instance. I sometimes think we should all move to Scotland. <laughs>
a bit cold. <laughs> you can't exclude in Scotland for behavioural reasons, only actual criminality, I believe, because they have like five or six prisons a year across the entire Scotland, it's wow. incredibly low. There are other ways of there are other ways of running an education system. Without excluding kids. Without exclusions being the norm or the first port of call. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? I agree. Great. Okay. We'll wrap this up. Thank you so much to both Justin and Richard for this wonderful and very interesting chat. Um, have a good day and we'll see you soon. A huge thank you to Justin and Richard for coming on our podcast and Sam for doing a brilliant job hosting it. You can find our full report on the rise of illegal exclusions of children and young people with autism and more about our We Need an Education campaign on our website ambitiousaboutautism.org.uk slash we need an education. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our previous podcasts, you can tweet us on at Ambitious Autism or message us on Facebook or Instagram on at Ambitious About Autism. Thanks for listening.